Merson has scored. Arsenal legend Paul Merson, John O'Shea, and Wes Brown are coming to Dublin. It's an exclusive off-air event. So if you want to be there, get onto offtheball.com forward slash events. Just eat the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. The football show on Off the Ball with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. I'm prepared to end it I can. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh, oh now here we go. Dan McDonald. He's here on the football show of the Irish Independent. Daniel, what's happening? Joseph, how are you? Very well. Jonathan Wilson is going to join us later on because, uh, well, it's Arsenal-Manchester City Eve, Dan. Does it, um, does that sort of stir feelings in you like this is a game? Yeah. If you if you didn't work in journalism, would you be like, I have to watch this game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, like, I do have that feeling of, yes, the game is on tomorrow night and like you don't always get to, you know, if you're not covering the game, like, you know, yes, you're interested in it, you need to see it, but it's not like essential, essential in the sense that like there's a there's an Irish person involved or something. But it does, like, it does have that sense of, yes, but is it, it's not quite that Liverpool Man City feeling of it being part of like a, let you know some kind of dynasty rivalry or something. It's a bit more. Will will we care about this match as much next year and in, in future? Years? I hear what you're saying. Not co- quite part of a dynasty, however. Of a Wednesday evening, uh, having sat through countless Premier League matches already this season, it's definitely uh, cleared the decks. This one is well worth watching, kind of mm. one for me. So I'm very excited for it. I have to say, we have it live here and off the ball as well. Uh, commentary Nathan and David Myler will be going over so uh, we'll be talking about that with Jonathan uh, Wilson in, in due course uh, delays in the Premier League this evening Wolves are 1-0 up against Crystal Palace an own goal for uh, Wolves doing the damage after 78 minutes Aston Villa courtesy of a Tyrone Mings header are 1-0 up against Fulham Fulham lost Willian early on they have the look of a side who are in ninth place and pretty comfortable with their lot just like holiday mode there's obviously bonuses for like the higher up you finish like points and yeah. notionally Europe sort of thing but I'd say probably on the bus there's probably some casual small talk about it yeah, holidays I would booked. think so they're not not trying but they're just sitting in and they're 1-0 down yeah. was uh, the halftime analysis that I saw on BT anyway the um, panel were not impressed with Fulham but uh, again Aston Villa so good at the moment as well and then I, I, the most significant game really with the view to relegation Leeds are 1-0 up against Leicester City only 48 minutes gone in that game that was a slightly later kickoff. Sinistera who has scored 3-5 and five for Leeds now got a very good goal against Nottingham Forest recently with the goal this evening and that moves Leeds above Leicester Leicester are just outside the bottom three they're ahead of Everton but they're now behind Leeds you look at Leeds' recent run of form and it's not great. They were beaten by Fulham, the aforementioned mm. Fulham, 2-1. And then before that, Liverpool scored six against them. Before that, Crystal Palace scored five against them. There was a brief reprieve where they beat Nottingham Forest 2-1. But the game before that, Arsenal scored four against them. So that's four, five and six in the three games. And then Fulham beat them as well. So a 1-0 win against Leicester this evening would be no small feat. No, they're not good numbers. I mean, the first um, 20 minutes of this was... Uh, it's very good actually I mean, I'm not saying good in terms of say quality but just more like uh, meaningful moments and Leicester had a goal disallowed um, I'm not sure if you've touched on this yeah Tiedemann's disallowed goal VAR great strike 
and Madison had a great chance after and like Leicester was sort of like you're thinking okay Leeds are struggling here and it's like they scored and, and it sort of galvanised them a little bit you know, the first 20 minutes you're thinking Leicester have had a win at the weekend Leeds are a bit low on confidence you know uh, Leicester are going to do them here and, and maybe maybe pull themselves into a position where they're starting to think about safety and uh, just classic to, to, you know the goal the impact that one moment can have on the momentum of a game and all of a sudden now like Leicester are on the chase a little bit but uh, Leeds yeah I mean that d- defensive record wouldn't encourage you to think that they could hold on to a lead but then again in some of those games maybe have they been going for it and exposed and now they have something to protect that's slightly different Aston Villa's uh, run of form I was just saying to Mick there before news is extraordinary can I give it to you it's just win 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 not far off one all draw at the weekend against Brentford oh yeah an abomination by their recent standards before that the 3-0 win against Newcastle that really caught my eye a lot of people's eye the football they played was incredible and as we've seen Newcastle are a very good side so 3-0 win at home to Newcastle 2-0 win at home to Forest away to Leicester where they won 2-1 away at Stamford Bridge where they won 2-0 so that was April March 3-0 win at home to Bournemouth they did draw one all away at West Ham but before that a 1-0 win with Palace and then we're into February where they were 2-0 winners at Goodison against Everton and their last defeat down the 18th of February 4-2 at the hands of Arsenal so it's been quite extraordinary I think the second coming uh, second coming in Premier League terms of Unai Emery has shut a few people up it has, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I'm not the first person to mention it, but almost to the point you think some of these jobs that are going round, it's like, uh, is someone going to, you know, feed it out? And he's obviously on a very good deal at Villa, and, and this, I can't imagine he, he would do that, but it's clearly the type of thing where um, if he can you know, carry that into next season, similar to like the Zerbi, to be fair, you know, like they're going to be suddenly, you know, they want to get their own teams into that sort of top four, top six discussion in some way. Um, but you'd imagine, like he just has that sort of sense of okay, he's elite probably, you know, or maybe he's elite too, you know, in terms of how he's perceived, like his stuff and um, post Arsenal has, has really, you know, reminded people why he got Arsenal in the first place. Yeah. So um, yeah, maybe not the like. It seems like these jobs, you know, Pochettino, that job may be gone, you know, Chelsea may be gone, and it may well be that sort of things calm down on the managerial merry ground for a while, but. Um, I think a lot of people will be looking at that job and thinking, yeah, he's 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 definitely uh, he's he's proven himself well up to it as if that was in doubt. Really, I want to ask you about Evan Ferguson. First of all, though, apropos of nothing, just by dint of uh, I suppose Wrexham's success, I was oh god, Wrexham reading up on Ryan Reynolds. It doesn't do it for me. I know. Oh, it's a horrible story for the me. The world is yeah. awash with isn't this Wrexham? It's unbelievable. Thing. If you see, like it's it's incredible. Sorry, for me. you know, like I mean, I mean, the Athletic have basically hired someone to cover yeah. Wrexham. It's obviously the American audience, and it's like it's crazy. But I mean, the thing is, the thing about Wrexham. I mean, it's to me, it's more interesting to me now because, like in the conference, they don't have proper financial fair play rules really so that's why you can completely buy yourself for promotion that's what happened with Salford and uh, Gary Neville and all of that but then they got to the football league and they found it a bit harder you can't you cannot throw mad amounts at it and they might develop all these other revenue streams that might help them um, but it may not be as easy for them now but to me it's like yeah I mean there's great um, you know we've probably clicked on and read a lot of the stories um, but doesn't do anything for me either. I no, I'm not really into it. But Ryan Reynolds has obviously uh, flavoured the month. 
I didn't realise how rich this man is. Well, there's the charm of the story again. Not well, I mean, football. He's not just, oh, Hollywood actor, he's got 80, 90 million in the bank for a man of his age. He's borderline billionaire. Mm. You wonder that Ryan Reynolds would be know. billionaire. So he had uh, a wireless company. Oh. It's uh, 25% of Mint Mobile. And the Wall Street Journal tell me that uh, T-Mobile acquired it recently. And so for that deal alone, Reynolds earning around 300 million in cash and stock from that deal. And recently as well, he has a gin company. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, Aviation Gin, which was sold, I think he's co-owner. We can do the math. Uh, sold to Diageo in 2020 for $610 million. So he's not just like, oh yeah, you know, I get paid 20 million a movie. Chump change. He's... Sounds like he's not going to be doing bad rom-coms in like 20 years. I don't think so. Just to get himself through. He's like, I just made a paycheck. How many bill do I have? Maybe, oh, you know, I'd think about more of them now, potentially. <laughs> yeah, Still a to wreck some story. <laughs> but, um, anyway, yeah. that was just... Uh, I was, I, was, I was reading this I was like my goodness you're okay. reading a story about Wrexham presumably and it brought you down this, this, this role uh, yes no. pretty much yeah, yeah. yeah. so Evan Ferguson has signed a contract extension every few months he likes to sign one October turned 18 sign one April play like a seasoned Premier League player at 18 sign a new one this is going to take him up to 2028 by uh, which yeah, stage he'll be yeah. 23 years of age uh, notionally, so you're saying this isn't some kind of watertight hurricane. Is he only going to be 23 in 2028? Don't do the maths on us, but he'll only be 23. Just think of, well, more to the point, think how old you'd be when he's coming towards retirement age. Cross my mind as well. That's the veteran. I think about that with Gavin Bazzino, all right, because I mean, the goalkeeper could in theory play at least like 40, you know? Mm. Um, oh, God. So, what, 2028, he'll play, if he's 33, it's 2038. Let's call him a 35 year old. So, 2040. Yeah, the, Don't the, answer. He's going to be central to Ireland's 2038 World Cup campaign. Yeah. When there's 128 teams playing in it. Of course. God, if me and you were still here at 2040. The Gianni Infantino trophy. Me and you were here in 2040 doing a stock take of Evan Ferguson's career. Finish that sentence. Uh, so You'll be happy. <laughs> so what are we saying about this? Nothing... Um, ah, this is just procedural enough. stuff, really. Uh, to, to me, does this really mean anything for his career trajectory? Uh, not really. It means like... It means something for his bank balance. Yes. Oh, no, not, 100%. Not, no Ryan Reynolds, but... No, I know that this is like... I mean, I think the one in October is... Like there's there's the initial contract you sign when you go over, which would have been I think reasonably okay because he came with a bit of a reputation, but like modest, very modest in the Premier League world, like very modest. Um, but then like you you move up the ranks, and I'd say the one in October reflects you're in the first team squad all of the time now. I was guessing so, that one was fifteen. Yeah, I think 19? I think you'd be in that bracket. I think the Aaron, top Brighton player is ninety a week. Yeah, so Aaron Connolly, is that Lewis Dunk, is it? Yeah. I, I, I've seen two different reports. One has Lewis Dunk top, one has Adam Lallana top. Right, okay. Well, anyway, I, I think Aaron Connolly got his new contract at Brighton a couple of years ago. And he, again, he went from like the, the first team players contract to then having scored in the first team and, you know, sort of those goals against Spurs and took him a while to get that contract um, but then when he did the suggestion was people thought he'd gone on to the 25, 30 sort of ballpark figure okay. I'd say Evan Ferguson's way above that Oh would you? Yeah 
Well, I wouldn't say way above that, but I'd say he's above that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What he's doing is a different level. Like it's not just. So, but I, I presume eight to ten games. So if, if he's fifth, let's say you were fifth, and this is just people love to speculate. Now I just wish it was like the MLS where just had to list all of this. Although then you'd be very depressed by what some average players are earning. Um, but like the, yeah. I mean, if you let's say he was around that fifteen, ten, fifteen mm. in October. Mm. I like. I mean, Danny Welbeck's. I think the, the feeling is Welbeck's on around fifty grand a week, um, and that would make sense because again, he's come down from a super club, you know, from super clubs, and as a result, that puts you into a certain pay grade. Still that, a line Irish Yeah, exactly. So the Welbeck suggestion is around fifty, and look, again, this is all the, the source on this aren't aren't terrific, but I mean, Evan Ferguson, if you're outperforming him, <clears throat> I think you're you'd probably be moving around to that territory. I would have thought. You know? Two questions. Do you think there's a release clause? Oh, Brighton apparently don't do release clauses. Okay. And secondly, say he's on X. He won't be stuck on X for the next five years, I presume. Or oh, no. Look to renegotiate. Uh, he won't be there. In, I don't think he'll be there I in think? two and a half, three years. Oh, really? Oh, no. Like, like a, a young player signing a new contract is, is, is often, as much as there's no, I don't believe that they do release clauses, so we'll see. But like Brighton are very clear. They read all the stuff about Brighton, their pieces. Like a lot of their pitch to players is we won't stand in your way eventually. I know they had that with um, Kaikado. I feel like um, Daniel Levy might have said something similar to Harry Kane <coughs> once upon a time. Well, that's, that's true. But I think Brighton have shown their track record is and Tony Bloom, who um, you know, who who runs the club, who, who would have had the owned the winner of the big race at um at Punchtown today and is like a you know professional gambler and, and is data person and stuff. Part of the model is showing like what you can do with your assets, you know, and you get yeah. them to a point, you sell them on, you find the next one. And that's how, you know, when they don't have this like historical sort of legacy fan base and, you know, there's possibly always going to be a ceiling to what the Brighton name will be worth um, part of what you do is you sell that and like I would mention in the context of Brighton as well just before we move on from it like there is a, an Irish kid called Andrew Moore who signed a contract yesterday to bring him up to 2027 we're all talking about Evan Ferguson now because of course we do because he's bloody interesting and he's brilliant and he's out there but Andrew Moore is rated as a, as a you know not, not I wouldn't say equally but he's in the same bracket um, he's just a slightly later developer and he's a playmaker a sort of a number 10 type player and again they're not giving him a contract until 2027 for the crack mm. you know he's going to be a big player and you can clip that one play it back to me but I think he's going to be a um, big part of our discussion in the coming years um, but Evan Ferguson yeah I, I'd be surprised if he if there wasn't the renewed transfer discussion about Evan Ferguson if, if, he, if next season goes like this one by next summer think you'd expect it to be a proper chat because okay. the profile is I think the interest from Manchester United as far as I understand is definitely genuine it's 100% genuine and um, other clubs will have to be as well and you know these clubs like they're always going to everyone's always in the market for a striker with his attributes um, like you mentioned Harry Kane and like I suppose Ferguson may have similar attributes you know and may well be on the shopping list of a lot of clubs and they'll they'll all be doing their homework on him and he will remain on all their lists and everyone will look at Brighton and think if we go to a number we'll go to they'll go to a number whereas like I was writing about this last week I think already <clears throat> the chat seems to be that like Brighton um, you know they, they wouldn't they wouldn't entertain anything less than around sort of 40 million euro territory 35 so that's where Evan Ferguson already is mm. in terms of you know where he might be valued Amazing. We are going to take a very short break. Jonathan Wilson is going to join us. Dan, I just want to sow a seed. I want to get your thoughts on the far side of the ad break. 
Arsenal Man City tomorrow is part of City's, I was going to say inevitable, impending, uh, likely, possible treble tilt. And obviously there have been parallels drawn with Manchester United in 99. Just the feel of it is so different. It feels uh, less vibrant, less of an achievement, less of a roller coaster. And I'm not sure if that's just me, my age, or if there's something very real in that. Mm. So we might chat about that and get Jonathan's take as well. And of course, uh, preview the game as well. Live and off the ball tomorrow, Manchester City against Arsenal. Our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Latest in the Premier League uh, remains as was, really. They're into the 91st minute between Wolves and Crystal Palace. Wolves are 1-0 up, courtesy of an own goal. Aston Villa still 1-0 up against Fulham. And then Leeds, an hour gone. Leeds 1, Leicester 0 would be a very significant result, you would think, for both sides this evening. Short break. Jonathan Wilson joining us next. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team This is News Talk Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports This is News Talk Welcome back. So Leeds, 65 minutes in the clock, still 1-0 up against Leicester. We have Aston Villa, 1-0 up against Fulham and they're into, well into added time between Wolves and Crystal Palace. Wolves have just scored a second as I speak. So Wolves 2, Crystal Palace 0 is where we are. I should mention, by the way, our road show next uh, Wednesday, 3rd of May. Myself and Nathan will be in the hot seats. It's a UEFA Champions League roadshow in partnership with Just Eat. We will have two Champions League winners in John O'Shea and Wes Brown. And we will have Paul Merson there as well for a feature interview, which I'm really looking forward to. So Merson, John O'Shea, Wes Brown. It's an offer event. Tickets are limited. Offtheball.com forward slash events. And it's all with thanks to Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. So Arsenal-Manchester City tomorrow at the Etihad. There is uh, much talk, I would say, in the last week in particular of Manchester City's uh, very possible treble. And uh, discussions are happening and parallels are being made with 99 and Manchester United obviously have a chance in an FA Cup final to stop their worst nightmare happening. It just... So I can't fully work out if this is just my age and my stage of life or if it really is just a far less vibrant, romantic, interesting run at what is still an awesome achievement in the treble. So it feels like it was such a different time in the 90s post the ban and Manchester United's never-ending odyssey to win. So it it was a more exotic thing to win in Europe. You had Arsenal who were double winners in 98 and therefore a very seasoned rival whereas the 2023 version admirable as they are are very much the rookie also like there was you know like Manchester City in particular and and Liverpool for a period of um, you know just made a science of winning domestic games uh, routinely like United had 79 points that treble winning season they drew 13 games they lost 3 they might finish third uh, by, by recent standards so there was just more jeopardy about so many of their games 
and then I, I guess the other obvious point, and and maybe that's where the lack, of, this is where the lack of romance comes in, is money. And it's not to suggest that United were plucky underdogs in '99. I mean, they they plundered the league. They looked at Dwight York and said, "We'll take that." And they take Andy Cole, and they take Roy Keane, and they buy Yapstam. So, mm. you know, but but it is different to this state-backed project. And so, '99, and I'm sure non-Manchester United fans are spitting on the ground as I say this, but '99 had the feel of a certain. Uh, romantic holy grail type achievement whereas this will feel I think like the culmination of a well executed project albeit their you know their failures in Europe in recent years adding a certain desperation to the situation so am I being terribly unfair on Man City? Uh, No I I think like look I suppose yeah if there's like people I don't know teenagers now how would they feel about it to me it feels like the travel thing has almost crept up on us even though it's obvious that it should have been there all along you know I think there's probably a few factors where it probably even in some ways people don't think of the FA Cup in the same way as they did even then potentially I take your points about the the, the, the Arsenal Manchester United thing um, I mean I suppose Man City like Manchester United there's a great sort of listen there's mo- probably more romance because of the history and none of that will annoy Man City fans but clearly the, the Manchester United pursuit of the second European Cup the second Champions League was a, was a big thing and they'd had all these sort of heartbreaking near misses now in fairness City have had near misses in recent times but they've been more so sort of funny <laughs> you know like you know cal- calamities because of um, maybe a view of the, the project whereas I suppose Manchester United 99 as well the Premier League wasn't the Bahamut that it is now in the sense that it was buying everyone and everything yeah. like it was still the time when you could win that and then sell player sell a player to Real Madrid a couple of years later like you know you know some of your elite players um, so there was a sense like that you know even an English club winning the Champions League was a bit of a deal when you consider what the sort of mid to late 90s and you lot sort of Juventus and Ajax and various sort of games so I think that's probably part of it as well I mean in, in recent years you've had all Premier League Champions League finals um, mm. so I, I think there's layers to it I mean you can't get away from the obvious I mean it is the city thing I mean like it is you know you, you, you enjoy their football I love watching them but then you step back from it and, and of course like the whole project is very clinical and, and very sort of modern football in the sense that if you if you have enough uh, oomph behind you from a, a petro state, like you will, yeah. you will get there. So, like to me, uh, you know, it's not as if Man City's uh, success is intertwined with their climb to the summit. Like you can't, you can't really intersperse it with um, Peter Reid's team getting relegated, or sorry, Alan Ball's team was was getting relegated um, that time, or you know, playoff finals because it's two different clubs. Mm. Whereas maybe the Manchester United story. At 99, there was some kind of link there, the Busby to Ferguson, yeah. the same office in the corridor or whatever at yeah. the start. It felt a lot more joint. But I mean, there is a little bit of your own personal experience there because you had a, a fondness for Manchester United at the time. And I was young. I was uh, so young. Not, yeah, you weren't, you weren't as beaten down by the world oh, I think as true. you are now. Jonathan Wilson is uh, with us. Evening, Jonathan. Hi, how you doing? Uh, care to, we'll get to Arsenal City, care to weigh in on the uh, soon-to-be-discussed ad nauseum parallels between 99 and Man City's tilt in 23? I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. That um, There was no sense then of the Premier League as the, the richest league in Europe. You know, 
Yeah, every season, Premier League teams should win the Champions League. If you look at the finances, they they outstrip everybody by by miles, particularly post pandemic. That just wasn't the case in ninety eight nine. That uh, when they played, even those group games against Barcelona, they felt like enormous epic games. Um, every time they played an Italian team, so they they beat Inter in the quarterfinals, that yeah, right, and then yeah. before Juve. Yeah, those felt like like massive. I remember even a couple of years earlier when they they beat Porto four 0 at home, and that was like a, I, I remember the build up of that game was like, can United do it? And four 0 was being talked about as one of the great results in the history yeah. of English football. I mean, yeah, you know, I say this with no, yeah, I'm not a Manchester United fan in any sense, but I remember at university sort of rushing down to the common room to read the papers the next morning <laughs> because it felt like such an extraordinary night for English football. Yeah, there's none of that now, and and and. Yeah, that, that statistic that that side only got 79 points. Yeah, City could get, uh, what well, I mean, they, they should get 95, 97 points this season. Mm. Um, yeah, the league is just so stretched that you know, no individual component of, of, of this treble, if they do do it, feels anything like as significant as as, as the equivalent 20 years ago. Um so, in, 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 I think it's 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 sort of in terms of a spectacle, we're we're fortunate that City are on the side of a draw they're in in the Champions League. Uh, that you know Real Madrid, whether they win or lose, that's that should be a great game. It should be a big game. Yeah, playing Bayern in the quarterfinal, I I, I think four nil. It didn't feel like a four nil game. I, I think the fact that they did beat them three nil in the first leg, that was a really good performance. It wasn't the sense of walkover that you got, for instance, in the. FA Cup semi-final against Sheffield United. Yeah, you compare that to United's game against Arsenal in '99. Mm. You know, we will always people who were alive at the time will always remember that that semi-final in '99. It was such a amazing game. The missed penalty, the the, the Giggs goal. Uh, was it, it Bergkamp who missed the penalty? Yeah, Roy Keane um, sent off. Roy Keane sent off. Just incredible drama between two great teams. Or you know, three nil walkover against a team from the championship <laughs> in front of a you know a three quarters full of Wembley because some people can't be bothered to go because they're so familiar with in, you know, in City's case so familiar with being at Wembley and in uh, in Sheffield United's case because they just did, you know, they looked at it and thought you know no way we're going to win this and let's let's save the money for being in the Premier League next season. I think it will be very interesting to see how let's say it happens how a Manchester City treble is greeted again. Ninety nine it was the climax to this Ferguson odyssey and even the most hardened begrudgers I suspect could have acknowledged that the drama of the uh, win against Barcelona had a certain kind of uh, magic or majesty whereas if City win particularly because the finale might be a fairly resounding win against one of the Milan sides uh, at a canter and Premier League in the bag with 110 charges hanging over them I mean, there could be a real like shrug of shoulders from the masses, which really would highlight the ills of where football is at the moment. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely true. And this is not just to do with state-run projects, and not just to do with City and the way they've they've gone about it, but the way that the wealthy clubs have pulled away from the rest. Mm. Yeah, their victories in in league games, in FA Cup games, just feel so routine now. And just the way that the finances, generally European football, have gone. That you have this this you know very small clutch of super clubs, uh, with you know PSG and Bayern and Juve and Barcelona, Real Madrid winning a title pretty much every season. Obviously, Juve have messed that up recently. Uh, Bayern may end up messing up this season, but fundamentally, yeah, the, the the seasons when those teams don't win the league really stand out. Well, City could make it five out of six this season, so you sort of think it's you can sort of think, 
you look at the Premier League and say, well, there's seven big teams going for those top four places. Think, yeah, but actually City are ahead of them all. It's, it's always City. And the thing I think that's really, I mean, quite apart from the moral aspects of, um, of Abu Dhabi and, and, and Saudi Arabia with Newcastle, um, which, which we probably shouldn't set aside, but it, 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 even leaving that aside, yeah. the thing is with a state-run club, there was two two aspects. So one is, um, if, if a if a rival appeared and challenged them, they can always spend more money. Mm. They can always find another state-run company to give them a bit extra in sponsorship. They can always find an, you know another airline or oil company or, or Abu Dhabi PR company or whatever who will sponsor them for something. They, they don't have the same ceiling that, that non-state-run clubs have. And I think even more worrying is they're essentially un, unregulatable. And you saw that when UEFA brought the charges we'll see what happens to these 115 Premier League charges, but they have the wealth to employ the best lawyers and to drag out these cases forever to just, you know, to, to, to make them last as long as possible to financially cripple the governing bodies of the sport. And we saw with the Saudi takeover of, of Newcastle, um, you know, the, the revelations in the last two or three weeks about how involved the British government was in making sure that happened. Uh, that, you know, they they were desperate for Saudi investment. Uh, you know, we suspected that at the time. There was those odd meetings involving Boris Johnson, which I, I think uh, Miguel Delaney was the first person to to highlight them. But we've seen much more evidence of that in the last two or three weeks. There clearly was Premier League influence. How how is the FA or the Premier League meant to you know, somehow act as some arbitrator in ongoing negotiations between the British government and the Saudi state or the of the UAE, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's not their role. It can't be their role. How can they possibly face that down? And if you have clubs that are essentially bigger than the league they're in, mm. I mean, that's, it's gone, you know, it's over. See, Dan, I knew it wasn't just because we were younger. No, no. I mean, listen, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a lengthy list of reasons yeah. to feel that way. And it's funny, even when you mention it, the, the whole Premier League investigation Thing. Again, that almost slipped from the mind as well. You think, oh yeah. Well, I, I think to a degree be, because it wasn't a Man City winning the title by March, and there was nothing else to talk about. It, it, it fe- you know, it, it has just fallen down the news cycle because we have a legitimate Premier League title race. But I think if City are to canter away, if they win tomorrow, I do think it reemerges in the final few games. It as comes a back point. Yeah. after the coronation. I mean, the slight, the slight problem. I mean, one of the reasons it's not part of the news cycle is that nothing's happening at the minute, or nothing True. we can see. Mm. The, the, yeah. the process is not transparent. Who knows what's happening? Um, yeah, there's, there's there's been very odd rumours out of Manchester recently that, that City think they've got away with it. I've got absolutely no idea about the validity of them. And the thing is, we've got no way of checking because the process is not transparent. So who knows what's going on? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan, I'm actually curious because you, you obviously see it online and particularly maybe Miguel and a couple of others who've been active on Man City and they get a, you know, a lot of sort of grief back from, from irate Man City fans. But I'm just curious, I haven't been in, in a couple of years What's it like to go to City these days, the stadium? Is it like a, is it a, a joyful place? You know, is it a sort of sense where it's sort of heaving with that sense of this is a golden era we're living through? Or you obviously do hear criticisms of the atmosphere from other fa- you know, fans of other clubs. I'm just curious, like, what type of venue is it to visit with all the, the atmosphere around it that we've sort of laid out there? I mean, I, I think the the... the 
I don't think it's that different to to other clubs. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it's it's not Anfield on a big European night, but but what is? You know, it's it's not Celtic Park on a big night. You know, it's it, it, it it's it's not that. But I think you know, you, you it's very easy to get seduced when you look back, and this is maybe where nostalgia does play a part. That we remember the really big nights, we remember the really big atmospheres. When Liverpool were battering everybody in the eighties, some of their crowds were, were actually pretty low. I mean, I know that was a time of particular. You know, economic difficulty in Liverpool, but but you know Anfield was was great then for the big European nights. But you got a run of the mill league game, and it felt like a run of the mill league game. And, and a lot of City games now feel like one of the mill league games. Mm. But they've happened for every club. So mm. I, I I think the sort of point scoring among fans is um, you know it, it, it's pretty parochial, parochial and pretty, pretty partisan. I, I'm I'm not never that convinced by these ideas that that certain fans are yeah, somehow noisier or more dedicated or whatever. The City win the league quite easily, so a lot of their league games are quite easy and yeah. those games don't feel particularly intense, but that would be true of anybody. Jamie Vardy has uh, raced through like it was 2016 all over again and finished very nicely for Leicester, so it's one all at Elland Road. We're into the 80th. Yeah, it's well-deserved in the run of play as well. Leicester have had, okay. from what we've seen here, they've had some good opportunities. Jonathan, with a view to tomorrow night's match then, what's your read on the uh, creaking of Arsenal of late? Um, I mean, I've been trying to avoid saying that they've bottled it, but they've bottled it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's it's not as simple as that. Yeah. It's to do with squad depth. And uh, again, I'm, I'm very reluctant to, to sort of say, ah, oh, it's all Rob Holding's fault. But would they have let in seven goals in the last three games if Saliba had been there? Probably not. And, and so, yeah. I feel like, Gar- not- I feel, I feel, I feel like, I mean, like, Rob Holding, I... I, I grant you but I feel like Gabrielle has just been further exposed as the, a, a constant mistake waiting to happen no? Yeah I think that's fair and I think there's been problems in midfield as well um, but I, I think really it's it's holding is a symptom of that lack of squad depth you know there was all this there's been all this talk sort of yeah from not in the last fortnight but, but the, the sort of few weeks before that of ah, nobody thought Arsenal could challenge for the title okay, well this is why because the squad's not deep enough mm. and we're really seeing that now and I think you're seeing, so yeah, Holding is getting the grief for that, and that's not really fair. But um, and he's been physically uh, dominated by um, Michael Antonio. He really struggled to deal with Alcaraz as well. Then you think, you know, Saliba really struggled with Ivan Tony in, in that Brentford game. And that Brentford game was where um, I think the first real signs of vulnerability were there. That the set plays, Brentford really troubled them. Um, and and yeah, if you look at set plays. Um, City hadn't sorry Arsenal hadn't conceded a goal to a to a cross set play all season up until that Tarkovsky header for Everton you know in Sean Dyche's first game as Everton manager and from that moment and I think probably it was the Brentford game that had alerted people to that weakness everybody just starts bombing in in swinging corners and Ramsdale's not great at dealing with that and I think there's been three further goals from set plays after that Tarkovsky goal and that I think is a big worry for them I mean quite apart from everything else with City just better but set play City are much more dangerous at this season partly as a result of Holland um, I think if they had I think it's five league goals they've had from set plays but then you think of the game against Leipzig where four of Holland's five goals were well three of them came from set plays one of them was a penalty which was the result of a set play so City are much sharper on set plays than, than they have been traditionally Arsenal are weak on that so that's another problem mm. Um 
Uh, but sorry, I, was, I, I drifted off there because I was talking about Saliba getting physically dominated. But I, I think you've also seen other problems in the squad that Thomas Partey's form has dipped the last three or four weeks. Odegaard's been... I mean, he, he played pretty well the last 15 minutes against Southampton, but before that he had a pretty poor game. The second half at Anfield, I thought he was he was pretty poor. So there's, there's players all over the place who've who've had issues. You know, when when with Shaka having the illness, you know, Vieira just doesn't look the same, mm. the same level of player. Um, so it looks like Shaka probably will be fit for tomorrow night, but will he be fully fit? We're, we're not quite sure. And and you sort of think, well, if Holding's been physically outmuscled by Michel Antonio, if he struggled to deal with Alcaraz in the way he did, how does he deal with Holland? Is there another option? And you think, well, do they go to a back three? But, I mean, they just haven't done that all season. Yeah. When they, they tried to do that late against Liverpool, it didn't really work. And also, you know, part of the problem is they don't have any centre-backs. So you, you can't go to a system with, that needs more centre-backs. So I, 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 I suspect if Tommy Asso had been fit, which he's not, he might have come into the middle as uh, somebody who you know, is a good man-marker. Uh, but I, I wonder if there's an argument for playing Ben White in the middle and playing Kieran Tierney on the right. Uh, and the the I know it's Tierney's wrong foot, but the advantage of that is when Grealish cuts in field, mm. it would be onto Tierney's stronger foot. Yeah. And Arteta was concerned enough by Grealish in the game at uh, at the Emirates that he played Tommy Asu, not Ben White, from the start in that game. And obviously, it was you know turned out to be a a mistake in that it was Tommy Asu's mistake that that gave gave City the first goal. But uh, that, that that seems to me the only way they can deal with that that that. Or it change something to try and deal with the Holland issue, but uh, you know I, I think just the way the teams are playing, it's very hard to see anything other than a fairly simple City win tomorrow night. It does feel that way, not least because City have just found that settled, brilliant form that looked a touch elusive for parts of the season around the time Cancelo was being bombed out of the club, and there were wobbles, and Guardiola was making slightly odd comments about the attitude of the team in the media. Bernardo Silva was hanging out left back. All of these uh, issues have just kind of drifted away and they look like a mean machine, very settled. Pep looks far less likely to do something uh, particularly enigmatic uh, as as pressure comes on. They look really, really good at the moment. Yeah, they do. I mean, and, and I think part of those, um, I mean, the, the slight issues I had earlier in the season, you know, they're only really problems by their own incredibly high standards. I think a lot of them were were trying to accommodate Holland and work out how to sort of balance the control that Guardiola wants with his requirement to play a bit more direct to get the ball forward quickly. Um, and I, you know they have worked that out now, slightly surprisingly by by effectively playing four centre backs across the back. Mm. But Stones is obviously more mobile than that. Akanji's more mobile than that. And Ake's more mobile than that. The injury to Ake could be a problem for them um, that they don't have. Yeah, they don't have any left backs. So they've got Sergio Gomez, but he hasn't started the Premier League game. Uh, so I doubt he'd play him. It'd probably be Laporte, who's another converted centre back. You think that that Saka maybe can get a run at him, and maybe that could be somewhere where Arsenal could have joy. But he's he's got to get the ball first. And I just think City's midfield is so good that Arsenal will really struggle to to get meaningful possession. Jonathan, thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the game. Cheers, tomorrow. thank you. Cheers, thank you, Jonathan Wilson, with us on the line. Uh, Jim and Candy Clare who signs off with an X kiss uh, trust me I'm a City fan the treble will be celebrated very healthily indeed in my house if we win it not two jots will be given to what United fans think dead right too Jim 
Mm. And by the way, I'm certainly not coming at this conversation from a no, no, I, uh, Manchester United uh, fan perspective. I would say City are pretty much the team I make a point to watching most weeks at the moment. There was a period where I did understand that they're a touch boring last season argument. I find them brilliant to watch this season. I think the Haaland factor adds to it. And they're playing so well at the moment like they they are if you <laughs> strip away all the the issues that people would have with the club I mean it's a beautiful team oh yeah like that's part of the conflict like they have been my favourite team to watch in the last number of years and, and I even I take the point about <clears throat> I suppose the the boring phase that maybe seemed to exist even then though I still probably quite liked watching them I always liked watching them when De Bruyne Alan's juiced things up a bit more yeah and, think, I, and like De Bruyne are probably uh, you know, is my favourite pair probably to watch when he's yeah. on a going day, and even Grealish is. Sorry, Gre- Grealish and Haaland have just added uh, a bit, more bit of old school football to the beautiful machine. Yeah, yeah, but of course, the whole project, as I said, our, our previous comments stand, and that is <clears throat> ultimately where it comes from. It's not some. I don't have any stake in the game, but it's not any kind of, you know, what a battery club rivalry type thing. It's just, I mean, you can't create. Um, feelings that don't exist around the the city's success. Like it's not, it, it doesn't have a lot of these elements that everyone likes in a in a classic sports story. Is some sense of triumph against adversity or some reference point. I mean, the triumph against adversity is maybe some of our Champions League disappointments in recent years. But again, you know, they were just uh, you know defeats where the natural economic order actually weren't followed. And as Jonathan sort of mentioned there, you know. Premier League team should be winning these competitions. Man City should be winning all these competitions. So yeah. there's not a sense that they're doing something, um, you know, extraordinary. Mm. I mean, I, I suppose the body of work is still going to be extraordinary. The levels they're hitting, but it just doesn't feel like they, they've overcome the odds no, in terms of the teams they've batted away. But level power. Uh, the football show is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, Speedy Sport, and Premier Sports. Back in one sec. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch every single live Premier League game this season On Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports This is News Talk Welcome back So Premier League evening thus far Full times Wolves 2-0 winners against Crystal Palace Aston Villa Five wins in a row at home, first time since 1993. Their run of form continues. They've beaten Fulham the ceiling 1 0. But the game of the evening, without question, is at Elland Road, where it's 1 0. Jamie Vardy equalised for Leicester. He then, I didn't want to interrupt Jonathan, he then put the ball in the Leeds net again, which was promptly ruled out for offside. And Dan, every time I've looked at you, you're gazing up at this match uh, with uh, wide eyed amazement. Ah, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Like, you, you, you have a lot of. Games <gasps> at the end, no. at the end of a you know sorry at any point in the season where again like to just like what does this game really matter you know to everyone involved like clearly yes I mean if you're telling me that Fulham didn't live and <laughs> yeah. die by tonight's trip to Villa Park but it's just I mean, you might have a game that matters to like one team like you know, City are going for the title or Arsenal are going for the title or whatever yeah. like, you know that Arsenal Sam the game I was at a match at the time but like obviously there was meaning at both both ends of the table and that sort of probably added to it this Leeds-Leicester game like this is huge like a draw 
okay, Leicester probably would have taken it 20 minutes ago, but a win would be so big for either of these sides in the context of staying in the Premier League and all that goes with it. And Leicester are going for it at one all, but Leeds have sort of come back to life since um, giving up their lead and Bamford has just missed an absolute sitter after his better pressure. Three but yards out, maybe? Three yards out. Now, it might have been offside, but but you know, in the moment, it was a it was a sitter that was missed. Um, but like Leicester probably sees the chance at one all that they can go and win this. But Leeds are hitting back, and it's Allen Road, and it's this is everything. Yeah, you know, um, the state of play in the league as things stand is that they've both played thirty-three games. Now, Everton, Nottingham Forest, and Southampton behind them have all played thirty-two, so they all have games in hand on Leeds and Leicester after this evening. Uh, Leeds are on thirty points in sixteenth. Leicester are on twenty-nine in 17th and so you have Everton and Nottingham Forest who could both with results with their games in hand bring Everton uh, and Leeds back into the relegation zone so a win really I mean a draw is not the end of the world for either but it certainly doesn't uh, mean they're feeling by any means close to safe so it's uh, high drama yeah it is and like you've got Southampton Bournemouth tomorrow which is a huge game as well you know so it's just like it does, it's just getting to that stage that relegation battle has been bubbling the whole time who do you think will go down I actually don't. I, I I think I don't have a strong opinion. I actually thought Bournemouth would, and then they went and they hammered uh, to beat Spurs really well. And like that sort of now, obviously, what's that worth now? Like, but then they the, were abysmal in uh, their subsequent. Game. About, yeah, and that's it. Like it's West uh, West Ham. So, but they might have enough points maybe to get away from it. But like Everton's running isn't terrific. Um, at all you sort of assumed Everton you always assume Everton will be fine. Funny, Pat Nevin was on two Mondays ago after their really meek effort against Fulham I think at home and he said oh, it's the first time being around Goodison chatting to fans chatting to former players people who are there every week there's no fighting anyone there's like a can't even get ourselves up for a yet another miraculous escape it's just we're not very good maybe it's this miserable. will be something new I think Leeds like I think Leeds are a potential strong candidate stating the obvious they're a potential strong candidate but like even though they've had their moments here Leicester look like the better side mm. to me um, so I think Southampton have to beat Bournemouth tomorrow they're probably done either way Southampton have to beat Bournemouth maybe they've got half a chance but Forrest yeah, I wouldn't be too unhappy to see them go down with all the comings and going. Mm. So maybe it's the three that is now. Maybe it's just Southampton, Forest, and Everton, but Leeds to me be the who, most vulnerable. Who would you miss most from the Premier League of Leeds, Leicester, and Everton? Um, oh, it's a good question. You see, I but I like the idea of Everton going to the Championship as a new story for Everton. I think that actually be very interesting to see how they get on because they've, they've had that unbroken run for so long so I wouldn't be unhappy to see them go down because I think that'd be something different Seamus Coleman in the championship, championship. That's, that's but yeah you might get to win something graceful. come up as, a, as, a, as the captain who brings them back up yeah. you know and that could be a perfect way to go I'd, um, I'd miss Everton from the Premier League I like, I, I like a Monday Night Football at Goodison no I, I could listen I could really understand the argument if you put those three together like I know you wouldn't be you wouldn't miss Leicester too much I but wouldn't miss Leicester yeah I thought I think Leicester I think in recent years like they were what they, were, they won the FA Cup one of those first games after lockdown where there was a crowd was the FA Cup final at Wembley and the Leicester fans were really enjoying the moment you know they've had you know they had that accent in recent times and they've had like they, you know some some moments and they won the league like they won the Premier League in 2016 like they, they I mean maybe okay it's a great story after the championship seven eight years later maybe that makes it even more incredible what 2016 was but I don't part of me doesn't want Leicester to go down. Mm. I have to say, and um, just Le- Leeds is just a constant roller coaster. I mean, no, I keep Leeds. You know, yeah, it's just something very insipid about Leicester. Like, wouldn't really 
break my back to watch a Leicester performance anymore I think the problem with Leicester maybe they get Pacelli back if they won the championship <laughs> they just have to get like a championship uh, championship <laughs> operatic performer yeah. you know um, but uh, yeah I, let's finish one all I know finish one all there we go I know what you're saying um, I mean Southampton I suppose there's an Irish angle to that like Bournemouth wouldn't be too unhappy to see them go mm. um, and Forest and Forest is the one I I, mean, I know some Forest fans but honestly they, they've just the, the the owner there and the, the money they've been throwing around the place and completely overhauled their squad there's hardly anyone there that got them promoted they've just about held on to the manager I, I think I, I think if the Forest model of how they've approached this season works and they stay up then yeah the game's completely gone <laughs> not just gone completely gone completely gone uh, as we begin to wind down just a reminder that Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball each week we're giving one lucky listener a 100 euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at an apple green store near you check out at Off the Ball on Twitter like and retweet and you're in the draw new Braeburn locations popping up every month or so and you can visit applegreenscores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience uh, we are pretty much done Enjoy Arsenal Manchester City tomorrow. City win? Yeah. It does feel that way. It does sort of. I mean, they don't even need to win now. That was the one thing around. A draw and it's in their own hands. That was the one thing about this game that you always yeah. felt like the, the City, the desperation of City, but it's also a great chance for them to try and get a bit of insurance going into those Madrid games that the Premier League games yeah. around it aren't as seismic. Yes, they're five points back, two games in hand, Manchester City, so it's starting to feel a bit inevitable. All of a sudden, the league feels their most likely trophy of the three yeah. that you'd feel most sure of. So we have live commentary that game tomorrow. Nathan and David Myler will be there. Join us from seven. It's an eight o'clock uh, kickoff and OTBAM is coming at you as usual tomorrow morning busy show uh, I'm sure previewing tomorrow night's game amongst other things and Merson has scored Arsenal legends Paul Merson John O'Shea and Wes Brown are coming to Dublin it's an exclusive off-air event so if you want to be there get on to offtheball.com forward slash events just eat the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League